Well, good morning to all. My name is uh, Brian Telzer. I'm the pastor of Congregational Life uh, here at Fifth and have the privilege of bringing the gospel message to us this morning. Uh, We are in the season of Lent, which is the four Sundays before Christmas. Excuse me, Advent, thank you. Um, It's not Lent. I didn't write it that way, but uh, that's coming. We look forward to that at that time. But right now we're in Advent, the second week, as Sam said. It's a season where we do look back to uh, Christ's coming, as well as look forward to, to his return. In that sense, it's a time to celebrate as well as to wait. We celebrate that the Lord came to the earth on that first Christmas, long ago, and we await that fulfillment of his coming once again. So, every year, the church calendar permits us to have four weeks of Advent uh, to celebrate his coming and waiting for that arrival. And more specifically, waiting for his arrival. We are waiting for Jesus himself to return and to make all things new. To renew and redeem every part of this fallen world for which we live. So our Advent series this year is called Waiting Room. We're looking at what the Bible says about our waiting. And the Bible gives us a guidance on how to wait well for Jesus' return. So today, we're looking at Preparing While We Wait. And so I've entitled this first section, uh, Struggling While We Wait. Now I confess to you, I am not a good waiter. Uh, In fact, I'm terrible at waiting. Uh, I think I might have a few people in our audience today who might be on my team. Uh, And that's right. So I want you to consider a few things to see if you are on my team or not. So maybe you go to the grocery store and it's time to go to the checkout. Do you scan all the checkout aisles to try to find the shortest aisle? You make your pick, and then you watch all the other aisles to see if you picked the right one, yes? Yeah, you're on my team. Um, Or perhaps you're driving your car, and you're on a two-lane road, and you're going behind somebody, and you're wondering why the person ahead of you is driving so slow, so you creep out to see if there's a car ahead of them. And lo and behold, it's not, it's just them. If you think about that, you might be on my team. Or maybe when you get up in the morning and uh, somebody else has started the coffee, but you are so ready for that first cup, you pull that craft out before the, the coffee is, is done percolating. If you're that person, creates a little mess on the coffee maker, you might be on my team. Uh, or maybe you're getting into the office and you uh, get to your computer. Maybe you did it this morning when you're trying to get online and you're moving the mouse fast to try to get it to move quicker to the website you're trying to get to. You're definitely on my team. Or maybe you're prone to opening the package that was delivered that you know was delivered for Christmas or for a wedding perhaps, and you open it before the attended big day. You are definitely on my team if you're that person. I'm one, that's the one I'm not so prone to doing because I like surprises, but I am terrible at waiting. Uh, I tend to want when I want, when I want it. Uh, And so I struggle with this, but I recognize that we need to, to understand how God created the opportunity for us to wait appropriately. You see, waiting is a natural part of creation. Those of us who live in Michigan should know this better than anybody else. I mean, we are entering this season of dormancy in winter now for the next, what, four or five months uh, of just that waiting for spring to arrive. Yet in the harshness and in some winters, the land and the nature comes alive in spring. 
I tend to love spring for that very reason. But what happens if we tend to rush towards nature? What happens if we rush the butterfly to come out of the cocoon? Well, that butterfly never gets the chance to be able to do what it was created to do and to fly. What if we try to cook the bread before the yeast is settled into the bread? It's not pretty. Or in our case this summer, uh, in our summer project, trying to paint wood before it's completely dry. It will cost us more time and more paint. Not waiting on nature is never a good idea. So that begs the question, how can we better prepare while we wait? Uh, Though I may not have been very good at waiting, I think I've learned a few things about how better to prepare. And as I alluded to the story of our summer project, uh, we realized, we've been in our house now for 11 years, a little over that, and we realized that uh, we uh, have never touched the exterior of our house. And so it needed a fresh paint job. So that's our house, and we had some decisions to make. Do we paint it the same color? Do we choose a different color to what it looks like? But the, the wood needed to be attended to. And so we had to think about preparing what kind of color and how to prep the wood appropriately. Well, then we thought, you know, it's the, the landscaping is there. We haven't been really, maybe this is a good time to get rid of that landscaping and put in a front patio. So we did that. We had the, the, the landscaping torn apart. We put a little front patio. And then we had the idea of putting a pergola or pergola, however you like to say it, on, on top of that. Well, the cement and the painting went really quick. We got that done probably um, early part of May. But the pergola took a lot of time to realize what it really took to do so. I spent hours of mine time trying to decide how, when, where, how we were going to put this thing all together. I lost some sleep. I'd get up in the middle of the night at times and write down some figures and thoughts. And and finally the time came. We got the wood delivered and started putting things together. And I had a few friends that helped put this thing together. But there was an enormous amount of preparation that took place to be able to put the the, uh, final product together. So this is what our house looks like now. We feel the same way. We love what it took, but again, it took a lot of preparation as well as waiting in the process to see that come together. Now, Bobby Knight, probably a name uh, some of our older folks might know, uh, some of the younger folks might not know him, he's a Hall of Fame basketball coach for the University of Indiana. He has this quote, he said, the will to succeed is important, but, um, but what is more important is the will to prepare. The preparation is absolutely necessary to success. So in this season of Advent, a season of waiting, what can we learn about the importance of preparing while we wait? A good example is found uh, uh, in terms of how to prepare while we're waiting is found in John the Baptist. And Megan is going to come up and read the passage for us today. And as she does so, a little few things you need to know about uh, the Gospel of Mark is where we're reading from. Mark is written from Peter's perspective. And so it's his story and his experience of what he encountered with Jesus. That's going to be important for us in just a little bit. Mark is also the shortest of the Gospels. So if you've not read the Gospels, Mark is a great one to start with because you get a lion's share of the events of Jesus' life in his Gospel. And lastly, you'll notice 
There's a fair amount of immediacy in Peter's telling of the story and as Mark writes. There's some urgency in this. So he jumps into the story uh, telling a little bit about John the Baptist. And so Megan's going to share that passage with us this morning. This is the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Megan. Mark begins his gospel with the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, with John the Baptist part of the story. John was born a relative of Jesus. The angel that visited Mary said to her in Luke chapter 1, verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. Elizabeth is John's mother, and Zechariah is his father. He was a priest. And an angel appeared to Zechariah while he was in the temple. And uh, in the, uh, Luke 1, 11 through 17 records this, and it says this, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Now we see this in verse 30, 31 when uh, Mary visits Elizabeth and the baby in her leaps. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit at the time. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to return the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Well, this reference to Elijah comes from the Old Testament prophecies that Elijah will come before the coming of the Messiah. He will be taken to, um, up to heaven, and it's recorded in 2 Kings uh, 2.11. And what is prophesied in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, which says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the hearts of the children to their parents. 
Now, we heard a bunch of these prophecies at the movie we saw yesterday. Uh, we, we saw the correlation of parents. I've been swimming in this in my, my head and hearing those prophecies and recognizing how Elijah's return is represented in John the Baptist. <coughs> Though this is not acknowledged until Jesus says so in the story of the transfiguration, which is 400 years later before that prophecy comes to be true. Well, the transfiguration has to be one of my favorite stories in Scripture. And in that context, what happens is Jesus takes James, John, and Peter up on a mountainside, up on a mountaintop. And in the course of this time that they get up there, Jesus is transfigured. His clothes become whiter than white, whiter than they've ever seen anything. And Jesus is now appearing talking to Moses and Elijah. And Peter observes this and says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up a shelter, one for you, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. And I had to stop and think, how does Peter know that this is Moses and Elijah? There's no Facebook out there. There's no ways to see those publicly. There's no record of photographs of either. This were hundreds of years ago these guys existed. How does he know that this is Moses and Elijah? And I have to surmise, I don't know this to be true or not, but I surmise that Jesus and Moses and Elijah greeted each other by name. Can you imagine being in that setting? Being Peter, James, and John, and seeing this conversation. No wonder Peter was, was scared and not knowing what to do. They have this experience, and all of a sudden, they're engulfed in a cloud. And from the cloud... Peter, James, and John hear, this is my son whom I love. Now this is the second time we get a description of a voice coming from a cloud like this. It was at Jesus' baptism. But instead of saying, with him I am well pleased, the voice says, listen to him. God is directly saying to Peter, James, and John, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Well, as the story goes, they leave the mountainside. And Jesus tells them, don't tell anybody this until after I've gone. I still don't know why he does that. But he does that on several occasions. He tells them, don't do it yet. And as they come down the mountain, they start to ask some questions about that conversation. And this is what we get from Mark 9, 11 through 13. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they had wished, just as it was written about him. Because John had already passed away by then. And I couldn't help but wonder, I wonder if... When Peter saw Moses and Elijah, was that John's image there? Because Elijah comes in the presence of John the Baptist. All this to say that the coming Messiah will be um, preceded by Elijah who was found in John the Baptist. And so then we get the prophecy here from, from Isaiah 40. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. These verses are a reference again to Isaiah 40. Which also says 
make a highway to God. Make a straight path, make a highway. Now, I don't know about you, but I love the highway. Because you rarely have to wait on the highway. Um, You're going, and you can move around, folks, as it's going. Um, But in those days, when a king was coming to the town, they would go out into the roads and remove rocks, remove things that have created a, uh, made a hard issue. They wanted to create a smooth way for the king to come to town. And Isaiah is saying the same thing to John here. Create a smooth way for people to come to God. So John's entire life was about making a highway for our God, which takes an enormous amount of preparation. We are the benefactors of a lot of work of those who served before us to create the highway system we have. Uh, I'm in awe of that every time I, I, I drive, even around the Beltline. Seeing that project uh, take place so the two highways all come together, fascinating that that could happen. But what a quick way to be able to get to places where we need to go. John's entire life is about preparing the way for people, his children, his beloved, to get to God and to get to know him. So here is what Mark says that we can do to prepare while we wait for the coming king. And he says, so John appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people around Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now the people came out to him confessing their sins and were baptized. So from this passage, John is calling those who are waiting to prepare by repenting, by confessing, and by being baptized. So If you're listening this morning and you do not have a relationship with the God who created you, what Mark is writing here for those who are new to Christ or desire to be in a relationship with him, he's calling us to repent, to confess, and to be baptized and to join the family of God. I'll say more about that in in a little bit. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair, wore a leather belt and ate locusts and honey. I'm, I'm wondering myself as I look at this passage, Why is that important to say? Why did Mark, why did Peter tell Mark to write that? Now, the whole Judean countryside is coming out to him. There must be something that's drawing them to him. And it certainly wasn't his appearance. There was no glamour around John. But it was his message, it was his character, and it was his clear purpose that drew people to him. I'm here to prepare you for the one who is to come. After me will come one who is far more powerful than I, whose sandals, whose shoes I can't even touch because he's so much more powerful and and beneficial to you. I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, I got another question. What do we know about John and the Holy Spirit? He was filled with the Spirit even before he was born. John could have baptized people 
with the Holy Spirit. But he didn't. He knew his purpose. He knew what he was supposed to do. He was calling to prepare people to receive that spirit from Jesus. And so his role was simply to baptize people with water. And Jesus, as he baptized him, even in his mother's womb, will baptize others in the appropriate time. Crazy. So, what does that look like for us to prepare while we wait? For us, for those who are believers, we often look at waiting as just doing nothing. But clearly, when we consider preparing while we wait, there is plenty for us to do. I want to share a little story uh, about that whole preparation piece as part of my earlier days of being here at Fifth. I came in 1990 and spent 13 years here as the youth pastor. Well, as part of my journey, my early days, I was uh, on staff and still working with Young Life at the time. And our Young Life mission was all about reaching high school kids in their environment. And so I was being trained by Young Life staff uh, as part of uh, Fuller's program with a uh, Master's of Theology with a concentration in youth ministries. Well, I finished that part of the education about 1996. Uh, and uh, 95, 96, somewhere there. And I had my last couple of classes at Western Seminary. And I went to Western and I said, hey, can I just leave the door open to complete the MDiv if I accept this MA? And they gave me permission to do so. Well, it was a year later, I realized, you know what? I think I'm supposed to do this. I don't know why, but this is what I'm supposed to do. So I continued in another two or three years, I finished the MDiv at Western. And many folks were asking, are you leaving? Are you doing anything? No, I'm still doing what I'm doing in youth ministry here at Fifth. But it was four years later that Kuiper came calling, asking for somebody to teach people how to do youth ministry. And without that degree, I would not have had the opportunity to do so. And so it made sense to do so. But in the midst of that, I didn't know why I was doing so. I was simply trying to be obedient to what God was placing on my heart in growing in my own discipleship. Well, I think John, and in Mark's writing in Peter, is trying to encourage us to do the same thing. Think about preparing for the coming king as he comes. So when we look at John's life, one of the things I think I draw from this passage is that John gained clarity from his parents as to his purpose, which means one of the things that we ought to be doing is being in community. And in the context of community, we discover and find out what our purpose is. Now, stated in Luke 1, Zechariah was told that John would bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, to turn their hearts of their parents to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So where are you getting clarity for your purpose? What is your community that's helping to guide and direct you to do so? Parents? We get a privilege of doing that with our kids, to plant those seeds, perhaps, helping and encouraging to where that might happen. Or maybe it's as adults, we're trying to figure out, where's my community that helps me to live out and exercise that? We were created to be in community, first with the God who created us, and second with each other. Preparing in community gives us clarity for our purpose. Secondly, I think we need to consider the wilderness, and listening to what God has to say. A voice of one calling in the wilderness was um, um, Isaiah's passage that speaks to what John was doing. There are a lot of distractions around us, yes? 
Yes. Depending on how you look at it, we don't have much in the way of wilderness around Grand Rapids. Uh, nevertheless, I think the snow provides an opportunity for a little bit of that wilderness experience. And I want to encourage us to think about ways that we can slow down and to listen to what God has to say for us. Turn off the TV. Light some candles. Walk, take a walk outside when the snow is gently falling. I got to do that this week. And man, was it peaceful. There was a clarity to it, even though there was a little bit of traffic around. But to be able to have some peace, to be able to hear God's voice. Spend some time in that silence. Read God's word and listen to what he has to say, as he said to Peter, James, and John. I really like the rhythm of life of, that winter provides, even though I much more prefer the warmth. But it does provide us some opportunities to slow down, to wait. But we need to keep on preparing while we're waiting. And the third thing I think uh, we're being asked to do in the midst of preparing while we wait is to simplify. John wore the basic necessities. Consider how we might prepare for the Lord's coming by simplifying some of the things in our life. Maybe it's time to get rid of some of those things that are the distractions. Uh, so you don't get caught up in having to maintain. Clean some closets out. I know I'm saying that. I got some closets to clean out at home. Donate to Goodwill, Salvation Army, Mel Trotter, In the Image. Practice less is more. Purge and cleanse. There's something very good about giving things away to others that might be able to make those things useful. <clears throat> now, if you are not a believer, the way that you are to prepare is to repent, to confess, and to be baptized. And if you're listening this morning and you're in that case, I highly encourage you to email us. If you're here this morning, I would love to have a conversation with you about how you begin that relationship with Christ. It comes from repentance, which is simply turning around, turning from the direction you're going and turn towards him. Confess your sins before him and receive the seal of being a part of his family in baptism. Now, if you're a believer, we see these three things from what John has said in this passage. And it starts with being in community. You need to engage in being with one another. And I know we've got some challenge with COVID in doing so, but there's ways to make that happen. Look for ways to meet the God of the universe. Just as John knew what his purpose was in baptizing people with water and giving folks the opportunity to come to the feet of Christ and to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, so we too each have a role to play, a purpose for his coming kingdom in introducing people when he comes. Secondly, spend some time in the wilderness. Whatever that is for you, listen to God. Perhaps an extended time of reading his word. Uh, turn the sound off at home and just pray. What did God say to you in the midst of that? If you got the opportunity to journal, then journal some of those thoughts or share them with those in your community. Slow down. Remove something that creates too much busyness in your life. And if you haven't read John uh, Mark Comer's book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, I highly recommend it. Uh, easier said than done in the context of our world. And then lastly, simplify. Clean out something. Give something away. Create a habit of doing this. Live simply so others can simply live. Preparation is not always easy. Waiting can be even more difficult. 
But if we recognize there's a purpose to it that associates with God's coming in his second return, we can prepare with great hope and with great earnestness. Let's pray. Lord, I give you thanks that you are a God that loves us deeply and desires for all of your creation to know you. And so, Lord, I pray if there's someone listening this morning that doesn't know you, that hasn't begun this relationship, that they would repent, confess, and would receive the baptism seal to be a part of your family, that you would call us your children. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to be in community, to spend some time in the wilderness, to listen to what your word has to say, and then to do it, and to simplify our lives around a way that brings honor to your kingdom's purposes. Thanks for your love and grace and the peace and the patience you give us. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.